Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will discover the essence of God's unity and how He created the world out of nothing. The Latin word ex nihilo means out of nothing. In Hebrew, the word is yesh me'ayin, which is used to describe God's creation of the universe and His forming of life out of nothingness. So let's ask this question. Can something actually be created out of nothing? Well, rationally, our minds would tell us no. But what if we believe by faith that God created the universe, ex nihilo, which is an irrational and seemingly impossible idea for us to comprehend? Then we have to also conclude that the universe cannot continue to exist apart from the one who created it. So there's this common misconception for us as human beings, that we see ourselves somehow as separate beings from God. Now, sure, we turn to Him when we need Him, but most people are content living independently apart from Him. Now, I don't think we actually realize that we cannot exist without Him. Most people feel that God created the world, set it in motion, and has now left it to our capable hands to manage. Our entire civilization is built on this false premise. Mankind is continually seeking to establish his own heaven on earth. Even this nation's declaration of independence says our creator endows us with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, it's interesting that none of these rights are in the Bible. And the word unalienable means impossible to take away or give up. And it implies these things are due to us by right and not by any gift or privilege. Now, it's true that no man has the right to take away your life, but I'm speaking of God, not man. So, contrary to our misconception, Job said, Naked I came from a mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeshua said in John chapter 10, He says, I've come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. God is the grantor of life, which is found only in Him, and this life is a gift of God and not a right. Yes, it's free to us, but it came at an immeasurable cost, the precious blood of God's only Son, Yeshua. Nowhere in the Declaration of Independence is there any reference to our complete and total dependence on the One who created us. No, we actually declare that God has given us certain unalienable and irrevocable rights, that we as separate beings own these rights. And so now we're free to exercise them in any way we choose. And this is what some call free will, which is another misconception. I actually call it rebellion. Do we really have free will, or has God simply given us a choice, a decision that would either direct our lives towards receiving His eternal love, or conversely receiving his eternal wrath. Because without free choice, there can be no moral responsibility. In Revelation chapter 16, it says, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. 
So complete free will, on the other hand, should give us absolute sovereignty to control our eternal destiny, even escaping death. But we know this is impossible. All of us will die one day. And we will all be judged by the Lord, some to everlasting life and others to everlasting punishment. Because if God's love forever sustains the righteous, then we have to assume that the wicked are equally sustained by his wrath. It says in Revelation chapter 20, it says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let's begin to understand these absolute truths about God's unity with his creation. And let's also understand the reasons why we must fully surrender our existence to the one who sustains all things. Maimonides, one of our great sages, said, God is the knowledge, the knower, and the known. God is the means of comprehension. That's the knowledge. And at the same time, he is the one who understands. He is the knower. And he is also the one which is understood, the known. Maimonides continues to say, This is not within the power of any man to comprehend clearly as it is written. Can you find and understand God by searching? And it is also written, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says God, and consequently your human thoughts cannot possibly comprehend my thoughts. Rabbi Schneur Zalman who is called the Alter Rebbe because he offers a counter-opinion, further clarifies that God's essence is truly infinite, even higher than the inscrutable level of knowledge that Maimonides refers to. Thus it is written, You have made them all with wisdom, indicating that God's wisdom is the highest level within all the worlds. Going back to Maimonides, he says, This is beyond the capacity of the mouth to express, beyond the capacity of the ear to hear, and beyond the capacity of the heart or mind of man to apprehend clearly. For the Holy One, blessed be He, His essence and being, and His knowledge is all absolutely one, from every side and angle and in every form of unity. The Altar Rebbe then adds, The Holy One, blessed be He, is a perfect unity without any composition or element of plurality at all. Although we recognize the Hebrew name of God, Elohim, his essence, are a plurality of one that we call the Trinity. But he and his knowledge are absolutely one, and knowing himself, he perceives and knows all the higher and lower beings. So one must conclude that God's essence and being and knowledge are all absolutely one without any composition. And just as it is impossible for any creature in the world to comprehend the essence of the Creator and his being, so it is impossible to comprehend the essence of his knowledge, which is one with God himself. It is possible only to believe, with a faith that transcends intellect and comprehension, that the Holy One, blessed be he, is one and unique. So before the creation, there was nothing that existed except for God. And after creation, Ex nihilo, we might erroneously assume that something now exists in addition to God. And this addition would effectively be a change in God's absolute unity, as nothing can exist apart from Him. So here are the questions. How can we say that God exists alone after creation when there now exists an additional entity, the universe? Or how can we say that 
once the world was created, that God is somehow aware of something he previously was not. It's clearly understood that the world is entirely nullified in relation to God. At the same time, the world is wholly united with him. So God is just as alone after the world was created as he was alone before its creation. In other words, relative to the infinite one, all the worlds are as sheer nothingness and non-existent. As the sages declare, you were the same before the world was created. You are the same since the world has been created. Being of absolutely no account relative to God, all the worlds affect no change in him. God does not change his will or his nature, and nothing is existing that can alter him. The Altar Rebbe adds that God's knowledge has never changed. He says, For by knowing himself, he knows all created things, since all derive from him and are nullified in relation to him. Creation therefore added nothing to God's knowledge. God's knowledge self-existed before creation, and it is with this prior knowledge that he knows all of the creation. So now, considering this understanding, how can we continue to believe that we as created beings are somehow separate from God? I mean, this is implausible. Except in our arrogance, which is our human pride. Pride is the elevation or even the consideration of one's own identity over God's unity. God is the supreme king of kings, and all of creation is considered as nothing before him and utterly nullified before his will. He brings life to all and continually brings us into being out of nothingness, ex nihilo. As it says in Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. God upholds all things by the word of his power. So therefore, pride represents a denial of God's unity, meaning a denial that nothing exists apart from him. And so for this reason, the Gemara, which is the oral Torah, equates this denial with idolatry. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Idolatry implies that there is something, anything, that exists outside of God and is separate from Him. The essence and root of our idolatry are that we regard ourselves as independent beings, separate from the holiness which is the oneness and unity of God. Wasn't this Israel's sin against the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, You shall have no other gods before me. And this was even the original sin of Adam when he ate of the forbidden tree, desiring to make himself wise like God. Idolatry does not imply the outright denial of God. No, it's considered idolatry only because we consider ourselves similar to God as separate beings. We thereby separate ourselves from the holiness of God, refusing to nullify and humble ourselves before him. 
And using this false analogy, we compare the work of God, the maker of heaven and earth, to the work of man. So, for example, when a metalsmith has completed a vessel, it no longer needs the hands of the metalsmith. The hands are removed and it remains intact by itself. And some philosophers have applied this model to the creation of heaven and earth, imagining that once God created them, they no longer need him. These thinkers deny what is called in Hebrew hashkacha pratit, which is the individually directed divine providence of the Creator's constant and ongoing contact with His created beings. Yeshua said, and we know this in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And nothing implies nothing, even our continual existence. Now, the opposite of pride is humility, which leads to our submission. Humility says, I am nothing before you, less than dust. I am completely non-existent in your presence, and my very breath and substance continually depend on you. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And submission to God says, I give up my perceived rights, even my rights to exist, and I fully submit to the unity of my Creator. Humble and submitted individuals properly view life as an undeserved gift from God, and certainly not free, because again, paid for with the precious blood of Christ. He did not die for our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. No, he died so that we might receive his life, his love, his joy, and his eternal peace, which is found only in him and not in anything of this world. Our surrender requires us to either humble ourselves or in his love, with his grace, be painfully humbled by the Lord, always remembering with fear and compassion the severity of God which has fallen on all idolaters. It says in Romans 1, those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And our surrender requires the full submission to the one who holds the keys of life in his hand. And we can rejoice in this truth. In Romans chapter 5, it says, knowing that God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we nullify ourselves before our creator, then we can receive the fullness of his love. And receiving the fullness of his love allows us to demonstrate Christ's immeasurable love to an unlovable world. Therefore, it says in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, Yeshua, began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because he knew that only repentance would turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to the heart of their heavenly Father. And therefore, it says in Isaiah chapter 57, Thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Yeshua then prayed in John 17, he said, that they, Israel, and all who are grafted in, all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And this unity implies that we are one in Christ, 
and not separate beings who can exist apart from Christ who holds the keys of life in his hand. And so this is my prayer for us that we remain in humble submission and continually repentant before our God. Repentant from our idolatry of self and turning from the deception that we are somehow independent beings that exist apart from God. So let us see ourselves fearfully and nullified in his presence and forever remembering that we are completely dependent upon him and that our spirit and every breath will rest in his hands for all eternity. And only then, when we are completely crucified in our flesh and alive in his spirit, will we fully become one in him and one with each other. So dear brothers and sisters, let us all become one. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.